Good morning, Cross Point. Come on now. Come on now. Good morning, Cross Point. We are in church and you have masks on. Come on. How many times have you been told, don't wear your mask to church, and now we're saying you can't come in unless you have one? Um, welcome to Cross Point. What unprecedented times we are living in. Um, so, uh, if you're online joining us, a special welcome as well to you. Uh, while you cannot be with us here in person, you are with us in the gathering of the saints. And I do believe that God has a good and true word for our lives and hearts uh, this morning. So, uh, as Danny read the passage, you can open your Bibles to Psalm 125. The imagery we're given in the psalm is one of security, stability, safety. When I think of security, I think about the safest place on the planet. That's Fort Knox. Maybe you've heard of Fort Knox. Uh, it is also known as, in fact, Fort Knox is actually the army base, but inside of Fort Knox is the United States Bullion Dispen uh, Depository. And um, this is a 109,000 acre military compound, Fort Knox. It's fitted with its own infantry, artillery, tanks, helicopters, the whole nine yards. If you think you're going to get into Fort Knox, you will not. In fact, in the middle of Fort Knox stands this structure. There's a building, and this building was built with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of tons of concrete granite steel. And it is built to withstand any and everything. So if you get through Fort Knox to the United States Bullion Depository, you get to that fence, even if you get through the fence, you ain't getting to the building. It's filled with landmines, and they also have their own internal security force called the United States Mint Police. So Fort Knox is guarded well on the outside, but on the inside, if you get to the vault, that's an if you get to the vault, it's, filled, it, it, it's guarded by a 20-ton door. And not any one person knows the combination. The combination is distributed amongst many people, um, and together they know the numbers or characters that make that combination. Now why that stringent and significant security? Well, inside the vault is filled with an estimated over 190 billion, with a B, dollars worth of gold. And that's only a small percentage of what's actually in there. There's other precious metals there's gems and diamonds and other precious artifacts. If you were to take all of the value and put it into dollar amount, it would value well into the trillions of dollars. And so when someone says to you, that place is as well guarded as Fort Knox, you know what I mean. You know what they mean. It's impenetrable. Now taking that back for a moment and thinking about the Israelites in this word, Mount Zion. 
We're in this series called the Psalms of Ascent, and the subscript here is a song of ascents. And the reason why you're given that subscript is because this was like the, the Spotify playlist for the Israelites as they traveled into Jerusalem during the various feasts and festivals. Some went into Jerusalem as many as three times a year. The most popular festival or feast was the Passover feast. And so there would have been these regular journeys that the Israelites would take into Jerusalem, and the fixture or the focal point that they would look on as they went into Jerusalem was Mount Zion. Mount Zion represented a place of safety and security. As they traveled there in the ups and downs of the journey, their eyes would have been fixed on the bedrock of the mountain. It is literally solid rock. The temple was built on Mount Zion. Much of Jerusalem was built on Zion, Mount Zion. And here, David says, though, actually it's not, we don't know the, the psalmist, it's, it's an uh, anonymous author. It says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. The big idea for our time together today is this. Those who trust in the Lord are like Zion, secure forever. Those who trust in the Lord are like Zion, secure forever. I believe that this is an important word for our day in the cultural moment that we're living in. We're living through the history of a global pandemic. This has brought about fears of a global financial crisis. You've heard all these things before and you hear them over and over again. And the, 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 the crux of what all of this global pandemic, global financial crisis, the most divisive election in the United States history, all of these things lead us to, to know that we're in a world that's filled with uncertainty. And here in a world that is filled with uncertainty, we have a rock solid hope. We have a rock solid trust. Those who trust in the Lord are like Zion, secure forever. So uh, the first point of our time together today is we see that those who trust in the Lord are stable in the Lord. And you see that here in verse 1. You see the first five words, those who trust in the Lord, I'm sorry, that's six word, those who trust in the Lord. Notice that the object of trust isn't Zion, but the object of trust is the Lord. It's important for us to know because we're asked to have faith in the Lord. And having faith in the Lord doesn't mean that our faith is the object. It means that the Lord is our object. That's why Jesus says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's not the quantity of faith. It's not even the quality of faith. It's do you have any of it? And Jesus says if you have any of it, put it in my hands and watch God do absolutely incredible things. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It's a metaphor. Mount Zion could not be moved any more than the Swiss Alps can be transported into the Sahara Desert. Mount Zion couldn't be moved into the state of Florida. Mount Zion couldn't be moved into any 
other direction. It was a fixture of steadfastness. And here the psalmist says that those who put their trust in the Lord are just as stable and steadfast as Zion. Eugene Peterson gives us some imagery related to this as it relates to the story of the Israelites. I often think about my trust in the Lord, and when I think about my trust in the Lord, I see how small it is, how wavering it is, how, how it's filled with ups and downs, and it causes me to feel somewhat guilty that I don't have more faith in God, that I don't have more trust in the Lord on the day-to-day -day basis, and, and I feel that Often it's filled with ebbs and flows and tossing and turnings. Now, Eugene Peterson talks about the Israelites, and he calls it the saw-toothed history of Israel. When you think about saw-tooth, think about it as up and down and up and down and up and down. The people of God, the Israelites, weren't necessarily known for this wellspring of faith. In fact, you can read more about their faithlessness more than their faithfulness. Here's how Eugene Peterson says it. He says, Israel was up one day and down the next. One day they were marching in triumph through the Red Sea, singing songs of victory. The next they were grumbling in the desert because they missed having their Egyptian steak and potatoes for supper. One day they were marching around Jericho, blowing trumpets and raising hearty hymns. And the next, they were plunged into an orgy at some Canaanite fertility shrine. One day, they were with Jesus in the upper room, listening with rapt attention to his commands and receiving his love. The next, they were stomping around and cursing in the courtyard, denying they ever knew him. But all the time, as we read that saw-tooth history, we realize something solid and steady. They are always God's people always those who trust in the lord are like zion because nothing can ever change the fact that you belong to him that's the word for us that's what gives us our stability that's what gives us our hope while our relationship with the Lord might look like the saw-tooth history of Israel, God's relationship is steady, steadfast, and firm. Just as firm as Mount Zion cannot be moved, so we who put our trust in him will abide in him forever. And that's why you read in the scriptures the refrain, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. Proverb 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You know what we have in that verse, that very familiar verse, you've heard it before, is a definition for sinfulness. You know, how do we define sinfulness? Well, sinfulness is a failure to trust in the Lord with all of our heart in a trusting in our own understanding. And that would happen in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against a holy and righteous God, they didn't trust him. They thought that they knew the plans better than God did. And we are the same way. We think that we know God, our plans are better than God's. And so we seek to curry favor with, with our plans and our propositions, and we try to bring God along our side. But God says, hey, listen, 
I know the future. Everything is established by the word of my power. You belong to me and I love you. Will you trust me? Psalm 27 says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's the human ingenuity, the military power, the the power of those who are at the top. Some trust in that, but the psalmist says, I trust in the Lord who's greater than that. Or Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then you hear this word, selah. It's like a breath mark. Rest. He's our refuge. So many of you probably feel some degree of uncertainty in our world today, and it's probably all over the map. Some of you it might be feeling it a lot more than ever. Some of you might be feel like it's just absolutely crushing in on you. But I want you to know that you have a refuge in the middle of the storm. It doesn't matter if the storm's upon you today. It doesn't matter if the storm comes tomorrow. The, the promise isn't that the storms won't come. The promise is that in the middle of the storms, you have a refuge and a sacred trust. And that sacred trust is the Lord. I have a quote from the famous Danny the drummer. He was over here earlier. He says, when we trust in the Lord, we are as unshakable as he is. You know, when I read that quote the first time, I thought, are we really as unshakable as God himself? Are we really that unshakable? Are we really so secure that we are as firm as God is himself? The answer is yes. You know the story that Jesus tells the parable, those who build their house on the sand are washed away. Those who build their house on the sticks and the stubble are burned down. But those who build their house on the rock, there is no rock but our God. And those who build their house on the foundation, the steadfast and stable, firm foundation of the Lord are as unshakable as he is. Because he is their stability. We're not the stability. He is those who trust in him. Point two is that we're surrounded by his presence. Surrounded by his presence. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, Mount Zion sat about 2,500 feet. Actually, it still does to this day. 2,500 feet above sea level. So everywhere around Jerusalem, you would have had to trek upwards to Mount Zion. But Jerusalem itself was an imagery of God's surrounding presence because there are mountains that were even greater or hills that are even greater than Zion around Israel. These these hills, these mountains provided a place of steadfast security. And it was a word picture of God surrounding his people with his presence. If there were any invading armies or renegade renegade attacks, Jerusalem was situated to be well guarded and well defended against anything or anyone who would come in. In other words, when the psalmist says that 
we are surrounded by the Lord's presence, it means that in order for something to get to you, it has to go through God first. That's important. In order for something to get to you, it has to go through God first. The interesting thing about the history of Israel, though, is not that Israel has stood as this unwavering battalion of hope. Israel was many times held captive. Mount Zion many times was captured. In fact, there were many invading armies that brought the Israelites into slavery. We have the, the, the captivity of Babylon. And after Babylon, it was the Persians and the Medes and the Greeks and then the Romans. There are many times where they would have even sung this song under foreign occupation. How can you really trust that the Lord is surrounding you when you're in the middle of what feels to be an utter helplessness and wickedness? It means that God works all things for the good of those who love him. It doesn't mean that this world is going to be perfect. It means that we are called to trust in the Lord when things get hard, when things get difficult, and when evil encroaches is in upon us, we know the Lord's presence has never left us. You know, it's, it's hard for us to stay faithful. I think that's a, a great byproduct or application of the message is stay faithful. Because wickedness is very visible. Evil encroaches upon our lives. We ourselves have this sawtooth history of Israel that's not just one day to another. It could be years and years of a drought where we're just refusing to fall after God. Charles Simeon says, trust in the Lord does not involve the mere general acknowledgement of God as the governor of the universe. It implies incomparably more. It is a deep conviction of his special providence, of his incessant attention to every minute concern of his own particular people. It means that God has created you for himself and that he knows everything about your life, past, present, and future. And when it says that God, when I say God knows everything about your life, it's not just that he knows facts. He just does, he, he doesn't know facts. We know that he knows every hair on your head. We know that he knows your goings and your comings. We know all those things, but it's not just facts on the page to God. It's your personhood. It's that he made you for himself. It's that you are his beloved child. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise that we have in that. Romans 8:28 says, "And we know that those who for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose." This isn't just some Christian lingo saying, you know, God is good all the time. Like this is in the, in the deep recesses of our heart when it feels like everything is crumbling and we know that trouble is going to overtake us. It, 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 it's this deep acknowledgement that I am his and he is mine and there's nothing that can shake that. His presence is surrounding me. 
God has not left you for one millisecond of your life. He hasn't. He's present with you. He's present with you when Monday morning and you wake up and you've determined on Sunday you're going to live a good life that's pleasing and obedient to the Lord and Monday morning you're tripping over your shoes and you're trying to find your keys and you don't even know the way to the car. God is good in those moments. Or when your boss comes in and, and, and ridicules you or, or tells you you've done a, a bad job or, or maybe gives you a pink slip because we're in the middle of an economic crisis and, and even this company that you've put in so much hope in can't sustain the future. You know that the Lord is surrounding you. His presence is all around you. St. Patrick wrote a famous prayer and he says in this prayer, Christ be with me, Christ within me. Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. The Lord surrounding his people in his presence is actually a pointer to something greater. The pointer to something greater is that we know the Lord's name, and his name is Jesus. And we know that when he was on the cross, he was forsaken so that we would not be. And because he was forsaken, he has become our presence we're going to see the significance of that in a moment. The third point is that we see we're safe from all evil. Verses 3 through 5. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be on Israel, safe from all evil. So um, I was thinking about it this week, how much of the American financial industry is driven by insurance? Have you, have you noticed that? I mean, you have insurance for your car, you have insurance for your house, you have insurance for your health, you have insurance for your washing machine, you have insurance for your phone, you have insurance for virtually everything because what you're trying to do with that insurance is ensure your security, your stability. Allstate came out with a commercial series about 10 years ago, and they still have these commercials today called Mayhem. This was back in 2010. In one commercial, Mayhem is a tailgater that's driving behind you really close. close. And because you're so concerned with the tailgater driving behind you that's really close, you're not looking in front of you, and so you run into the car that's in front of you, and Mayhem strikes. And then there's another one where there's a windstorm while you're on vacation. It's sending flying objects through your house, and there's water damage and you come home to absolute mayhem. And then there's another one where there's a raccoon that's making its home in your attic and having babies and causing really bad problems in your attic. And 
everything seems to be falling apart because this raccoon is in your attic and that raccoon has caused absolute mayhem. And then after each of the commercials, you have the famous voice of Dennis Hainsbert say, are you in good hands? I've been practicing that one all week. And it's probably the best time I did it. Praise the Lord. I was praying for that. <laughs> we actually heard um, Dennis Hainsbert give the uh, candlelight the processional at Epcot where they do the narration of Jesus and having his voice do that was absolutely phenomenal. Are you in good hands? Now, the question of insurance is the question of how can I be insured against any risk of this world? The one thing that insurance can't insure you against is the mayhem of sin. It's one thing you can't buy insurance for. Now, it's not just the mayhem of the sin of the world around you, but it's the mayhem of the sin that's inside of you. The interesting thing about insurance is that it cannot insure us from ourselves. That we have sinned against a holy and righteous God, and we are in need of hope outside of ourselves. And there's no insurance plan that can save you from the wrath of God that is the just punishment for your sin. Now, some of you might say, well, that's why Jesus exists, right? I'm just like paying into an insurance plan. I'm just going to daily say my prayers and thank him and then have eternal security. But, but Jesus is far greater than fire insurance. What Jesus did was he received the wrath of God that you deserved. He received the just punishment due your sin. For those who trust in the Lord, it's not just the Lord Yahweh, it's who Yahweh is to us, and Yahweh is Christ. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And Yahweh, in flesh, Jesus Christ, came to withstand the wrath of God to come under the curse that we deserve so that we can come out alive. And he is the one who saves us, doesn't insure us, he saves us from mayhem. Here we have the scepter of wickedness. The scepter of wickedness was, uh, a, a scepter was, was held by those who ruled. And here we have wickedness that's in the highest places of the land. And the promise here is that evil won't come against God's people, even in the highest systemic evil of the land. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Years ago, uh, I read a book about um, the Nuremberg trials in Nazi Germany. And the book was actually a biography from a, a chaplain named uh, Henry Gericke. Uh, and this chaplain was, was given to the most heinous criminals of Nazi Germany. And as he spent time shepherding, pastoring these people who did the worst things for Nazi Germany, there is an interesting theme that came up upon all those whom he served, is that they didn't believe they were guilty. 
And why didn't they believe that they were guilty of killing millions of people? I mean, some of these people engineered the worst of the concentration camps. And they didn't believe they were guilty because they were just doing what they were told. And so they believed that hell or punishment was deserved for only the worst of sinners. But, you know, there's an interesting thing for us to learn from these Nuremberg trials is that when... when rulers of lands lead in wickedness, it easily allows the people, the citizens, to live in wickedness. Well, I'm just doing it because the law says I can. Well, how does that work against the holy and righteous God who has a law that's absolutely contrary to any of the laws of this world? This is why we should be a people of prayer for our leaders. This is why we should pray for and be involved in the elections. Because we should be citizens of not the United States of America, which we are, but we're citizens of a greater kingdom and we seek to to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Rhett Dodson says the promise should lead you to pray for God's restraining hand on the leadership of your nation. America is not Israel, and the 50 states are not God's covenantly allotted land. Neither is the United Kingdom, Australia, or Germany. But the same biblical principle applies to all. The Lord promises that we will not be forced into sin, but he also knows that we are easily led into it. Wickedness in the leadership of a country will promote wickedness amongst its people. If we even think about it, in our United States of America, we historically have injustice in our nation. And that injustice is not something that has just passed, but it exists today. And that injustice is something that we ferociously must oppose, whether it's racial injustice or just the injustice of humanity by protecting the unborn. And when we think about injustice, we think about how can I walk in the ways of the Lord? How can I walk in the ways of the Lord and see the gospel advance in hearts that don't know him? And so we believe that God is going to use us in the everyday relationships that we have. There's a story uh, you'll find familiar in the scriptures of, of Joseph, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. And uh, Joseph was um, uh, a, the favorite of his father, Jacob. And um, Joseph was, was also uh, a lot of, there was a lot of jealousy from Joseph's brother because Joseph was favored by his father, Jacob. And so, these brothers, their jealousy led them to sell him into slavery. And if Joseph went into slavery, he was sold into Potiphar's household. He found favor in Potiphar's household. He was, he was running the whole household and everything of Potiphar. Potiphar entrusted him with everything. But Potiphar's wife had something for Joseph, and Joseph, well, he refused it. And because Joseph refused the advances of Potiphar's wife, she was mad at him. And she told her husband, and her husband said, as she told her husband, she made up a lie that he advanced upon her. 
And so uh, Joseph found himself in the deep, dark dungeons of Egypt. And as Joseph was in these deep, dark dungeons of Egypt, he still found God's favor. And then he interpreted these dreams, and he became known among the, the jail, all the jailhouse, and even Egypt as the interpreter of dreams. And then the, the pharaoh of Egypt had a dream, and he was so conflicted by this dream that he needed someone to interpret it. And he heard of Joseph, and so Joseph went to Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh told Joseph the dream. The dream was essentially that there would be seven years of feast followed by seven years of famine. And in this dream that uh, was given, Joseph was given authority to, to help rule Egypt in such a way to prepare for the seven years of famine with the seven years of feasting. So they built storehouses and, uh, of, of food and supplies for the years of famine that were coming. And as it continued all throughout the land, it impacted even Joseph's home family. So Joseph's brothers are sent by their father to Egypt to go get some supplies. And they're before the prime minister of Egypt, who is Joseph, and they don't recognize him. And as they stand before the front prime minister of Egypt, they're begging that they would have supplies, they would have food, they would have rations so that their family and the people of Israel could survive. Joseph recognizes them as his brother. Long story short, as the uh, brothers are, are before Joseph, at, at another point, Joseph tells them that he is their brother. And these brothers come before Joseph and they plead for their lives for forgiveness. And Joseph says to them, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, the promise of God through the wickedness that Joseph endured from his brother was one, you have the forgiveness that God offers to sinners, but you also have that in the midst of evil and wickedness, God is making a way for his righteousness to prevail. It's that God is using all things that, are, that Satan meant for evil for good. And as a result, all of Israel is saved. So for us, it requires a deep application of faith, belief that in the midst of our everyday lives, God is at work. You know, we have a faith that's strong enough for eternal life, but do we really believe that we have a faith that's strong enough for everyday life? That every day when I wake up in the morning, that every breath, that every problem, that every challenge, God is going to use my faith as I trust steadfastly in the Lord. Every day faith. James talks about faith and he says it this way, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We are called to live everyday faith as a demonstration of our eternal faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we should have everyday evangelism. Every day that we would live our faith on display. You know, God has called us 
to be brokenhearted for the lost. When I talk about the challenges of our nation, they're the challenges that you have in your own life. They're the challenges that you're dealing with in your neighbors. They're the challenges that you're dealing with in our loved ones. It's the reason why we're living in a divided even church today. But we are called to see people as created in the image of God and love them where they're at. And my question for you is, are you brokenhearted enough for people who need God to do that? Are you brokenhearted enough? Are we brokenhearted enough for our neighbors, for our family members, for our friends? Are we living in this individualistic culture that says, you know what, I'm just gonna forget about everybody else and I'm just gonna do what's good for me right now. That is not faith, that's selfishness, that's turning to your own ways in the crookedness of the world. And so we have an everyday faith, a faith that's demonstrated by our words and our proclamation of the gospel. And he says here, peace be upon Israel. Peace be upon God's beloved people. The result of Joseph being elevated to prime minister was the result of peace upon Israel. Was it an eternal peace? It wasn't. Because later we would know that the Pharaoh and the kings of Egypt would forget and then Moses would come along and he would lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And the story continues of the sawtooth history of Israel. But the story of our lives is one where we have to ask, are we in good hands? Are we in the hands of the safety and the security of the Lord? so much that we're willing to live for him each and every moment of every day, that we experience the peace of Israel. So cross point, may we put our faith and trust in the Lord because he, like Zion, cannot be moved. He is the one who makes us stable. He is the one who surrounds us with his presence. He is the one who keeps us safe from all evil. And it's through the hands of Christ that we are safe. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the strength and security that you provide us today. Lord, thank you that in the middle of our weaknesses, our inadequacies, this sawtooth history of our lives, Lord, God, you invite us to put our faith in you. And Lord, I pray that there's no shame here for what has been a lack of faith. Lord, I pray that there's no guilt here for what has been a small faith. But Lord, I pray that what is here is surrender, a surrendering what faith we have to you and watching you take what we have in building, Lord, a faith that cannot be moved because, Lord, our faith and hope is in you. Would you do it in our everyday lives? Would you open up an everyday evangelism in our lives as well, God, to tell the world about what Jesus has done? It's in your name we pray. Amen.